Welcome, Chris Kosach, host of Tex Pros and Rock and Roll from Los Angeles. It is so great to see you. I love the adorable dog in the background. <laughs> and it's such an Thank honor you. to have you and talk about your wonderful podcast, A, because we've been friends for a long time, and B, because I'm such a fan of your podcast. So why don't you share for our viewers and listeners what gave you the idea for Tex Pros and Rock and Roll, the book club that rocks? and how you made it happen. This edition of Rock Talk for Text Pros and Rock and Roll is gonna be fast. As we head into Memorial Day weekend, Text Pros and Rock and Roll has your list of must read music related titles to keep you interested wherever you may be. My name is Chris Kosach. I created this podcast to highlight the written and documented account of music, from band bios to artist memoirs and the occasional rock doc too. We are the only show of its kind. This is Text, Prose, and Rock and Roll, Memorial Day edition. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much. It's just, it's so fun to to talk shop with you and to, you know, I... I miss you on this side of the pond and you've just always been so much fun and I, I miss you, but thank God for technology. Yes. And you've gone down more than one crazy journey with me, haven't you? I'm trying to write a book and uh, asking questions about what am I doing with my life? And um, boy, am I really using that degree? <laughs> All of these various things. And of course, the latest is this um, dive into the world of podcasting. Oof. So uh, where would you like me to begin? Maybe maybe the nickel tour about yeah. uh, my applicable experience? Yeah. You're, yeah, okay. yeah. And, and, and coinciding with your move from Atlanta, where we met to Los Angeles, where you are. Sure, sure. All right. Well, it goes... If, if, it's a long story, but I'll make it very, very quick. I always knew I wanted to be in the media. I always knew that I wanted to not necessarily opine. I've never wanted to be one of those, you know, a talking head, but I'm a natural storyteller as I think most podcasts, well, maybe not most, but many podcasters and um, media including yourself, we're storytellers. We're vessels of, of these very important nuggets in human history that need to be told. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm cut from that exact same cloth. So I studied communications. I thought I wanted to go into television, uh, but I found myself the news director of my college station in California. And uh, that led to working in radio. And that led to, this is always fun to say, uh, for those who might understand the U.S. map, I went from Modesto, California to Reno, Nevada, Omaha, Nebraska, St. Louis, Missouri, jumped into television, went to New York City, MTV, then had a personal family tragedy, as you know, moved back home to be closer to my dad and uh, came down to Los Angeles to find work, went up to San Francisco, met a cute boy, got married. <laughs> we moved to Washington, D.C. We moved to Atlanta, and now we're back in Los Angeles, and I am tired, <laughs> right? Tired of moving. <laughs> yes. So at least a dozen of those, or excuse me, at least a, uh, eight of those 
um, hops from here to there were being a radio announcer and learning all of those skills, which include being a program uh, assistant and being an assistant music director, uh, promotions uh, person, uh, middays, uh, creating my own show, editing my own show, doing that both on tape with a razor blade and jumping into digital audio. So that's always kind of been my my passion and my bread and butter, right? So you would think when podcasting came around in 2004, I would be ready to do it. And I was. But at the time, everybody, if you go back and you listen to the earliest podcasts, it's always people kind of talking about themselves and opining. And after trying to do one or two of these, I found that it wasn't my cup of tea. I don't like talking about myself that much. I want to tell other stories. So I stopped podcasting in 2005 when everybody else started. And lately I've been saying, I'm back. What I miss? (laughs) I missed a lot. (laughs) You've been working as a radio host as well, which Mm -hmm. is sort of podcasting by another name. It's not like you completely disappeared from the airwaves. You were just on a different medium, wouldn't you say? I would. I I was on terrestrial radio for the longest time. And as podcasting started coming up and people were podcasting, the radio companies, the very people, in my opinion, who destroyed the medium of radio Mm. by making it terribly corporate and overly polished and beholden to a stock price on Wall Street, Mm. those very people who gobbled up all the mom and pop radio stations around the United States, and I would imagine it's the same in the UK, Mm. uh, those people started coming after podcasts. And so they they wave that shiny carrot in front of your face like, oh, you could be a part of iHeartRadio. You could be a part of Spotify. But do you really want to work for the same people that more or less kind of destroyed this medium in the first place? I don't. Mm. So I'm trying to stay as independent as possible. But man, that is really proving to be difficult because What has happened in every other medium seems to be happening again. And that is the big corporate brass has the machine behind them to kind of like plow over all the little guys. And it's happening all over again. So it's very, very hard, but I'm not giving up this time at all. And um, it's going to be a hell of a ride. So join me. Because your podcast really is unique. So talk a bit about how you came up with the idea for Taxpayers and Rock and Roll and some of your favorite interviews, because as you, I, mean, I, like you, love reading. I love mm-hmm. rock and music in general. And you've interviewed so such amazing luminaries and, and people behind the scenes like Dave Grohl's mom, you know, ama- amazing yeah. people who aren't appearing on other podcasts. I mean, there are so many podcasts out there and often you see the same people appearing again and again, but you interview different people who have these amazing stories to tell. So if you could talk more about how you came up with the idea, this great unique idea and how you've been finding these amazing guests. Okay. All right. I will, I will spill the beans on everything. (laughs) So uh, let's see. Text pros and rock and roll the book club that rocks came to me, I want to say in a dream, but it came to me one afternoon when I, it came to me in a book. I was reading Jewel Kilcher, the the singer Jewel. I was reading her book on a beach in Mexico. And I thought, 
God, I can relate to this woman. I wish I could ask her this question or that question. And I knew I wanted to do some kind of a podcast. I had tried a couple of things that inherently didn't work out because they were location-based and then we moved and what have you. So I had this epiphany on a beach that, oh my gosh, this should be like the uh, NPR, National Public Radio, which is an American public radio outlet, big national one. They have a show called Fresh Air. And a woman, uh, Terry Gross, is a wonderful interviewer. She's been doing it for 25, 30 years. And she has various people on, usually to talk about books. Uh, Not always, but oftentimes. And she keeps it really straight. And she really does her research. And um, she is... In my opinion, she seems to be documenting these important things happening and our cultural ethos, right? So I thought, well, why don't I do that? Oh, you know what? So it was a mashup of me being on a beach and hearing one of her interviews where I was thinking, ask the guy this, and she didn't. Oh, <laughs> ask the guy that, and she didn't. And you know how that is frustrating, right? Yes. As an interviewer. Yeah. And they don't leave no stone unturned. There's a couple of stones that haven't been unturned. And I thought, okay, well, I can do that. So I, I, it just so happened that a man that I worked with at MTV, Matt Pinfield, had a book being re-released. He had come out like a year before. But I'm in touch with Matt. So I called him and I also called a producer friend in San Francisco who had just gotten laid off from radio, a very cool radio station, in fact, that uh, was replaced by something horrible. And it was a venerated station that had been around for 30 years, very much like I think it's BBC One. Anyway, Tex Pros and Rock and Roll came to life with this interview with Matt Penfield. He was an easy, easy get and he was an easy interview because he's a talker and I knew that. And he's not difficult and he's very open. So I read his book and I had all my questions. But when we cracked the mic, the truth is I never even asked half my questions because he just kept going and going and going. So we ended up with an hour and a half interview that we had to whittle down. And uh, that was our first episode. And it's still probably one of our most popular episodes as well. So from there, we thought, oh, we're going to get the get every single time. You know, this has opened the doors for us. Uh uh-uh, not so. It's been very hard to get some of these folks. Um, And we were down on ourselves for a little while that we couldn't get the big celebrities that we had hoped to get. We have gotten some big celebrities, in my opinion. Again, speaking to a British audience, uh, Susie Quattro came on the show. She is lovely. I loved that interview. Uh, thank you. She she was we bonded. She was she was great. Um, and Kathy Valentine from the Go Go's had written a wonderful book, and she's a little bit of uh, a literati herself. She really kind of reinvented herself as a writer a few years ago, not just of music but of prose. And um, um, Dave Grohl's mom had done a few interviews, and of course, because she's Dave Grohl's mom, she usually only goes before some of the really popular outlets. But I went through LinkedIn, I pay the premium price, which allows you to reach out and send an email to anybody. And I found a friend of a friend of a friend who was connected to the publicist at, I believe it was Random House, and uh, made my pitch and told them who I was. Here's a problem I'm having. One of the problems I'm having is people see my background and they're like, sure, we'll do the interview. And then they realize that I'm an independent podcast and they renege. Um, So that that has happened. I've also had, 
I don't want to say his name, but a big rock star uh, more or less yanked my chain until I made, I brokered a deal to get him on the front page of a certain big automobile website of a person I am, uh, I am married to. <laughs> and once that happened for him, all of a sudden he wasn't available. So that was very painful. That's so. But I mean, you would never know as a listener though, because you have such amazing guests, you know? And so you don't, your, your average listener wouldn't know the ones who have reneged or the ones who have said no, you know? Right. But, and, and in the case of, um, was it Virginia Hanlon Grohl? Uh-huh. I read her book from the cradle to you the did? I did because I, I actually listened to the audiobook as you recommended in the podcast. And I was thinking, I feel like if it weren't for the pandemic, this would have been huge. She would have been all over the place. And I mm-hmm. feel like, she, you know, I, I only became aware of her book because of your podcast. And I was thinking that is interesting to me that she wasn't overexposed. It wasn't like, oh, here she is again. You know, I was like, what? Dave Girl's mom has a book out and it's great and so interesting. And so did you find that the pandemic is tragic as it was on every other level? The fact that a lot of people weren't doing anything. Did it, did you find that helpful at all? Were there guests you picked up simply because their tours were canceled or concerts are canceled or, or what have you, they had more time than they would have in normal times? Yes, I actually did. I found that um, accessibility was much easier. And in a way, I wish I had taken more advantage of that. Uh, but I could only do what I could do in earnest. I am not like one of these interviews. Most people, you know, we've talked about the Washington read, right? So mm-hmm. let me let me uh, tell your audience what that is. What a lot of people will do when they do an interview is they will have a, a production assistant read a book or they will do what is called a Washington read, which means uh, a, a, a Washington DC reporter gets reams and reams and reams literally of paperwork. They cannot read it all in 24 hours. So what they do is they read the beginning pages, they read the final pages, and then they'll flip through and pick something else out. And that is what they stick with. They do not read the whole thing. Um, and I would say 90% of all interviews are done as a Washington read or not at all, not even a Washington read. And I refuse to do that. I read every single word. So back in the day, you know, when COVID was starting, um, yeah, I would love to have done many, many more interviews, but I felt I owed it to the guest Mm -hmm. to read their book and ask some intelligent questions. And can I tell you something? Nancy Burrill, who wrote a book and was a guest on the podcast in, I believe maybe July, I asked her at the end, I said, can you tell when people don't read? Because I was just getting to the place where I was thinking maybe I should do the Washington read because I was a little burnt out of reading a book Mm. a week, you know? Mm. And and she said, I can absolutely tell. So um, I'm like, interesting. So I haven't done it yet. I still read the whole book. Well, and it really, really shows. And just your your interview technique, as you were saying in your first interview, where you didn't even use all of your scripted questions. I'll listen to podcasts sometimes, and there'll be the guest will have this amazing answer, and I'll want to hear a follow up to that. And the interviewer just move on because you can tell that they've got a list, and you're like, no, don't they're changing the subject now to something completely separate from that really interesting topic you just started talking about. Let me ask you something else, and. 
I love that you let the conversation dictate the interview, that you don't just go by this, this list that like someone else prepared or, you know, that, and, and, and that you, you do, you let the interviewer set, set the tone, I'm sorry, the interviewee set the tone of how that interview will go. Thank you. You know, somebody used the expression yesterday that they use in comedy that you need to read the room. And I think you do. I think you need to read the room when you're talking to a person. I mean, I'm, I've never been a gotcha journalist, neither are you. I don't want to, you know, I don't care about someone's personal life unless that is like uh, important to the story, you know, and, and, and they're the first ones to say anything about it, right? Um, so like, for example, Kathy Valentine's book was very much about her hard childhood and her hard childhood as a latchkey kid was what led her to listening to music and acting out and becoming a punk rocker and being a punk rocker is what led to her, you know, uh, using writing as her therapy and getting into bands and that led to being in the go-go's and here we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So her tough childhood did have something to do with her story and she wrote about it. And so of course I'm going to ask about it, but yeah, otherwise you hear people like asking difficult questions and I don't want to be that person. I want people to walk away having a favorable impression. And I think it's showing in the fact that people want to be a return guest. I've had three return guests now, three of them. And they've been like, yeah, sure. I know who you are. That was a lot of fun. Yep. I'll do it. And I love that. I love that. That's um... There's, which are your return guests? Um, Martin Popoff, who That's wrote the um, the Rush books. Rush. Allison at Elwood, who did two lovely films. What was One was on Laurel Canyon and all the music that came out of there in the 60s and 70s. And then she also did the Go-Go's documentary. And she was the one who put in a good word for me on Kathy Valentine. So that's the other thing is a good interview can beget another good interview. So um, that's that's a little tip for people as well. And I also want to say, you know, as much as I was kind of down on not getting bigger artists, I'm finding the feedback from people such as yourself, and you're not the only one, Jill, I'm getting feedback from other people saying, I really enjoyed the story from that ethnomusicologist that I had never heard of before. You know, we had um, uh, a wonderful woman who uh, works at NYU, who was talking about women of color, in the pioneering days of music and how they're kind of like forgotten. Is it diamonds, diamond queens? Yeah, black diamond queens. Black diamond queens. That, and oh, that was amazing, that interview. Thank you, thank you. And that's who I'm getting great feedback on. So that is what I need to start going after now is what they're calling a super niche. And I, mm-hmm. I just really want to tell these, uns- I want to champion untold stories I- in music, not just rock and roll. Text, prose, and rock and roll is a play on sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's not just rock and roll. And quite frankly, rock and roll comes from the blues and soul and jazz and big band and all these other things. So you can look forward to Louis Armstrong coming up on our show and stuff like that. And so how did Black Diamond Queens, the the author interview, the woman who wrote Black Diamond Queens, how did that come about? Funny enough, I uh, was reading another interview by somebody who didn't ask some questions that I kind of wanted to know. Um, Not many, though. I think I had maybe one burning question, but I remember thinking, gosh, this is amazing. Uh, uh, This is an amazing topic. We were heading into Women's History Month out of Black History Month. And I think that this interview, it was a written interview, by the way, it was not a, a, a spoken interview. 
but that one was on a, a blog, I think. And I, that's how it hit my radar. But I read that and I thought, wow, this is a great topic. And then I looked around and this amazing interviewer who knew so much, um, she just really didn't have a lot of interviews. And I couldn't really understand why. Her biggest one to date, I think, was on WNYC in New York, mm-hmm. but which is huge. But I just thought, God, this, this needs to get some legs. And sure enough, I read her book. This woman, she's brilliant. Maureen Mahone uh, is her name. And um, uh, she had like 80 pages of footnotes, like 80 pages. So there's no questioning this lady. She's done her homework. And what she said about the Rolling Stones song, Brown Sugar, I, I never knew um, that you know, it's, it's very dark past and it's really yeah. racist inspiration or it, it's it's racist tone I, I you know there's so many songs you just you hear so many times you don't listen to the lyrics and I I found that really um really sobering but really important it was just I was just so glad you'd given that given that book another another pathway given it the um the publicity it deserves yeah. so yeah yeah and I, I look forward to interviewing her again because my God, that was just, it was great. She told the story of, um, of the woman who wrote Hound Dog and performed Hound Dog, the Hound Dog that Elvis Presley made famous. She got no money for that and oh, she wrote it. Um, and uh, the, the first woman to be on Ed Sullivan, the first example of rock and roll that was ever on Ed Sullivan was not Elvis Presley. You know, and and the Beatles took uh, inspiration from all of these like black American artists. They said the Beatles said that Sister Rosetta Tharp was their favorite, and so that that's interesting. And yet you don't hear that very often. So, but listen, your questions are cut from the same cloth as mine. You obviously have done your homework. And, and you are interviewing someone who's not famous. That would be me. <laughs> and, and I appreciate that. <laughs> but I mean, it, I don't see it as homework because I really, um, of course I know you, but I feel like I, I, I've learned so much about these, these different books, these different genres. And it also, because we're still in an era in podcasting where it's still quite male dominated, both mm-hmm. in the listeners and in the podcasters. So to have these female voices featured is so exciting. And that the woman you interviewed who wrote the book about women in punk rock, yeah, had the book that had that amazing title. No, I will uh-huh. not hold your coat. Yes, that's exactly right. That's Nancy Burrell. That's the lady who said, I can tell them no one reads my book. And she also said, she said, the women read the book. The men, they don't. She can tell, you know, they just want to talk about a time and a place, but it's very evident and clear because they'd never bring up anything from her book. Um, and I hate to generalize like that, but that's coming from her. Well, I, I did see this interview once where an interviewer had not read the book and, and he says to um, to this author who had published like a 500 page book, so tell me about your book. And it was like, don't say that. Unless you have five hours, yeah. don't say, if you've got 20 minutes, it, you have to come in with it. Because of course the author could talk about that forever and ever. And that's great if you have that time. But if you only have 20 minutes, it's got to be like, you know, tell me why this book is important in this moment or tell me why you featured this in chapter one or something. Use that knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone I find if we're going to, if, if you don't mind me steering the conversation for just a second and talking about technique, um, podcasting technique. Yes, please do. From, from my perspective, 
it's not about me, it's about them. And out of the gate, the first question is really important to set the tone. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I think it's imperative to not only do your research, but out of the gate, almost show them that you've done the research and go for something not incredibly deep. It's got to be you know, lighthearted, but at the same time, coming out of the gate saying um, something like, you know, it's a beautiful book. Oh, look, uh, 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 Patty Boyd's sister, Jenny Boyd. I came out of the book saying to her, you talk about life being cyclical and you talk about, you know, you know, your, your search for something in this universe that is uh, metaphysical almost and, and otherworldly and kind of the meaning of life and all these paths and journeys that you've taken. And each one of them has something circular about them and you come back around again. And I don't know if you noticed this, but you started your book off um, talking about X, Y, and Z. And the last page of your book, you go, oh, it was a quote that George Harrison had given her Mm -hmm. about everything's gonna be all right, something like that. And the first paragraph of the book is George Harrison's advice to her, her brother-in-law. And the last page is George Harrison's advice, her brother-in-law. And I asked her, I said, with all these themes of, of, of the cyclical nature of life, did you realize, was that a conscious effort to do that in your book? And there was this pregnant pause in the interview. And she's like, no, I didn't do that on purpose. And you could just hear in her voice, like, oh my God, epiphany, number one. And number two, she actually read the book cover to cover. Yeah, yeah, and she didn't stop halfway or something. No, and she told me that like in a quote that I use on our website, but but essentially she, she said, your questions are great. And I didn't press her on it and say, well, doesn't everyone do that? But I, I don't think everybody did that with her. Well, and it's interesting. I think the flip side to that is not everyone listens to the podcast. Like have you found when you're approaching guests that, and, you, and presumably you send them sample episodes, right? So they know that this uh-huh. is a hatchet job. Do you find that they, the people you're approaching do listen, that they'll say, you know, if it's a, someone you're approaching who you don't know, or I guess even if you do know, do you find that these prospective guests, prospective interviewees listen to your podcast before being interviewed? That's a really good question, Jill. Um, I would say a handful of them do. I don't think they all do. I think their people do. Uh, for example, right now, I, I'm not going to say any names, but there's a gentleman who had some large hits in the late 80s, maybe 1990, 91, right around there. And he has a book coming out this summer. He is married to a woman that I, I don't know her, but she worked at MTV and she is besties with a dear friend of mine. So I asked my friend, can you get a contact information? Can you ping him and ask him for a contact information? I'd love to interview him. And she said, sure, no problem. I'll write to him right away. She gets right back to me and says, he said to contact this person. So I contacted that person out of the gate. I said, so-and-so sent me, um, I would like to do this. Uh, I would need the book and I would only have 30 minutes of his time. I'm not going to bother him. Here's a link to all of my shows. Um, have a listen. Willie Nelson was the last uh, person we featured on the show. And so he'd be in good company. And the response was, we'll get back to you. 
So here's an artist who said, okay, here's my info. And the people are saying, we'll get back to you. So who knows what's going to happen? But uh, I, I think they will listen. And I think, I, I suspect it's going to be the same thing. They're going to think this is all right, but it's too small for us. And we're going to move on. That's what I think is going to happen. Well, that's interesting. Because then, I mean, for instance, the, the Cornell professor stroke bad religion singer uh-huh. interview, uh-huh. which just first, I mean, as a, you know, I went to Cornell and I didn't know that there was a professor who was also- you. Didn't? Oh, I was in bed. My brother, who, who was a big fan, was like, "What do you mean you didn't know? You don't understand." I mean, <laughs> you're in your silo, actually. Not, not that there's an excuse, but he was just so enthusiastic, you know. And he's obviously a big name. I now realize, to my shame, what a big name he is. I don't know, no, no name. big deal. <laughs> but, but that was so like. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I, I felt as a listener, he was all in. You know, he was happy to be there. Wasn't like, you know, I'm super famous, so I only have two minutes to talk to you. It was like, I am here and I'm into this and I'm excited. And yeah, it, it was really infectious. You know, it was I could, I could talk. ah, there's a pun there <laughs> because they have a song. They have a song that you infect me. So yeah, no, I think people people either get it or they don't. Right? There's the human condition. There are people who appreciate the human bonding condition and want to have a, a, an intellectual dyadic stimulating conversation. And then there's those who don't. And I think that's all there is. And I think that there's also people, especially in the music industry, who are maybe awkward in conversation. And that's why many musicians get into music. They're kind of not forthcoming with their feelings and emotions and conversation. And then I also think that there's a little bit of a rock star mentality with some people mm-hmm. and that they might still be on their high horse and look down upon the masses. Quite frankly, I do. I think that there's a few people like that, um, but, but not all of them. And thankfully, fewer and fewer uh, because of the way the music industry is now. But I think that there's a combination of there's people who are awkward in conversation and don't want to, to put themselves out there. They're inherently shy, you could say. I think that there's those people who are a little egotistical and maybe on their high horse and too, think they're too good for the conversation. And then I think that there's people who are good human beings who just want to have a conversation. Sometimes their scheduling doesn't work either and they still say no, but there's people who get it and people who don't, period. Mm. And now what, what's ahead, would you say for your, for your podcast and your plans? Well, and will will as things open up, hopefully, will mm-hmm. you do, will you, cause I mean, that's the thing I think about once things open up more, maybe I can go out on location somewhere instead of doing everything on zoom, you know, from, from the comfort one's own home. But, but what, what does, what are your future plans, things, uh, directions you want to take the podcast in if you have those set so far? I am all over the place, but let me throw a few of them out there. Uh, Number one, I would love to be in a radio studio face-to-face with an actual guest. I would love that. But at the same time, I would never be able to interview half these people who are uh, on campus at Cornell or at NYU, and it's impossible to talk to them in person. So I hope that there will always be a little bit of this element, but it would be nice to be in a studio. That's number one. Uh, number two, I am playing around still. I'm, I'm truly at a crossroads on where this goes. Do I just want to give up entirely on a traditional model and try to be on radio stations? Do I just want to remain a podcast? Do I want to 
partner with a studio? Do I want to remain independent? I don't know. It changes every single day. But I have something very exciting to announce. And that is that the billionaire, Mark Cuban, who started broadcast.com back in the day, that was his first big hit. He's on the American version of Shark Tank. And he is a habitual entrepreneur to this day. And he has recently launched, eh, semi-launched in beta, a new podcasting platform that is called Fireside. Mm, and title. yeah, it really is uh, a Fireside Chats. And he hopes to be a predominant uh, a purveyor of podcasting uh, initial podcasts. And then from there, a podcaster can download their content, which has now been live and post-produce it and spread it far and wide through Apple and Spotify and Amazon and all of those. But I am pleased to say that not only was I invited by a friend who is a muckety-muck in technology to be on that platform, but I've gotten approval to be a creator as well, which very few people are have been able to do that. And so now you can find me on fireside.com slash Chris Kosach. Wonderful. And uh, I'm very excited to announce that. And also I would like to invite you, my friend Jill, to also accept one of my VIP invitations and live on that as well. Oh, that would be wonderful. Well, I accept. Yay! (laughs) Thank you. You've been so great at sharing your knowledge and resources. So thank you for that. My pleasure. I say for anybody out there uh, who wants to start a podcast, get your gear. Oh, I didn't even mention this. There are far too many podcasts out there right now and people are giving up. So I believe that the statistic is something like 75 or 80% of all podcasts don't get past five or six episodes. So if you are serious about doing this, do it. It's like writing. Don't talk about writing do it. But if you're going to do it, give yourself a season, whatever that's going to be, do it and plot it before you even start and get the equipment and don't, I'm going to swear, don't half ass it. Don't phone it in. Do it. If you hate it, you can always take it down, but do it in earnest and put it out there and try to find your people because they are out there. And if you're just a hobbyist and you just want to do it for fun, that's fine too. But I would say if you're a hobbyist, there might be other avenues for you. Well, that's my advice. That is wonderful advice. Well, where else can people find you? So you've got Fireside and for our viewers and listeners, where to Oh, in this silly day and age. Okay. They are (laughs) Fireside. You can find me on Instagram, either under text pros, rock and roll rock and roll with this with an N, not an ampersand. Uh, they can also find me on Twitter under my name, Chris Kosach. You can find me on Facebook. You can find us on our website, www.textprosrockandroll.com. And I love to hear from you. And I'm always telling people we take requests. So if you have a book that you love, I would love to hear from you. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and tips. And I look forward to listening more. Thank you so much, Jill. This is a ball always.